But uh, I'm going to start a new, well, not a new series. This is the second message of my series, all about Salah, which is in the Psalms. So I'm doing my second Psalm, which is Psalms 23. And I've chosen 10 messages and 10 different Psalms throughout the Bible, or throughout Psalms, I should say. Um, just about things where God has spoken to me uh, and just about important things that I can bring out of the Word of God. But it's amazing how, how I suppose, when we're little, how little we appreciate the good old nap. I mean, I've, I've sent my kids to go have naps many a times and, and they don't really like them. They whinge, complain and try and get out of it. Can I just lay there? Can I use my iPad? Can I have some music on? Can I read a book? No, you're supposed to go and have a nap. I remember growing up and, and it was really simple on a Sunday. We went to church on Sunday morning. We come home, we had lunch, then we had a nap, and then we went back to church. That was our, our Sundays. Um, my kids don't like them, but it's not until you actually get an adult, become an adult that you, you miss your naps. I mean, naps are needed, right? Because if you don't let your children have a nap when they need it, or sometimes you preempt that you get Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy come out, and even that can come out in some adults, and you know that they, that adult needs a nap, Right? My wife loves her naps. She wished she could collect all the naps that she didn't take and use them now. But we don't understand, we misunderstand the importance of rest. And it's only when we have responsibilities and we mature that we really grasp that, hey, we need a nap. Naps are good. The humble nap is not valued until we mature. The ability to rest is actually really, really important. But the question is, what is rest? The Bible actually des describes three different kinds of rest. We have the rest where we sleep, the rest where we permanently sleep. If you didn't know what that means, it means you've died and you've gone to be at rest. And the third one is where you learn to rest in God. Now, everyone loves a holiday and everyone needs a good holiday. And sometimes it's difficult to take a holiday. Sometimes it's hard to take kids on a holiday because when you take kids on a holiday, it doesn't actually even seem like a holiday. And then there's times you go on holidays, but it doesn't seem like a holiday because you get people who, who ring you up and give you messages and want to talk to you on your holiday and you can't get away from them, right? And then when you get back from your holiday, it's not really a holiday because someone hasn't been able to do your job while you've been on holiday, so now you're behind on your job. So now your holiday is not really a holiday because now you've got to come back and work harder and have to earn another holiday. Now you need rest from the rest because your rest wasn't rest enough. And so you ask yourself sometimes, why do I bother? Isn't it easy just to work all the way through? But I want you to buckle up. I want you to get ready. I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to breathe. I want you to pause in time for a moment and I want you to listen. Because if you can capture what I'm about to give you, it'll change your life. And I'm going to give you the understanding of what rest really is. In Psalms 23, 1-6, right? This is the passage of Scripture. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows and surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you've been in church more than a week, you've probably heard that scripture quite a few times spoken. I'm taking it from a different point of view. But this is actually a really beautiful psalm from David. David, or who was king, wrote this psalm. Now, you've got to remember that David was a shepherd. And when David was king... He actually did something in the, in the tabernacle. He set up what's called the Tabernacle of David, a tent. And in the city of Jerusalem, he made an area on Zion, Mount Zion, where he set up a big tent. And he didn't follow the normal tabernacle rules. He only had one piece of furniture, which was, does anyone know what that piece of furniture was? It was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And in this massive, massive tent, he only had one thing, which was the Ark of the Covenant in there. And then what he did was he, he gathered up 5,000 minstrels, musicians. And they played worship in the tent of the tabernacle 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 40 years. Now today we have tried to mimic it, copy it, but without avail. I've been in prayer meetings that have tried to go for 24 hours and by the end of it, you are stuffed. I've been in worship services that have gone all night and you come out and say, I'm tired. But they had worship playing in the city of David for 40 years, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. David actually knew how to worship God. David was such a worshipper that even before they were his king, they knew, people knew that he was a worshipper. When King Saul was plagued by evil spirits, they called David into the room. And when David would worship God, the evil spirits would depart. When David was king, he conquered all his enemies. All of them. For 40 years. In fact, when he was coming towards the end, he wanted to build a temple unto God. And God said, no, because you have spilled too much blood. David conquered all his enemies. No other king did that. David was a man who loved to worship God. David even did the crazy things when, they, when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant before he was king. And when he brought it back as he was king, he was dancing, and I don't actually encourage this, but he was dancing naked before the Ark of the Covenant. And his wife said, why are you dancing undignified like this? You're king. And he says, I'll dance before the Lord. And I'll even get more undignified than this. David knew how to worship to the point where he didn't care what other people thought. David was a man who was after God's own heart. He had worship 24 hours in the city of David and they destroyed every one of their enemies, destroyed them. He built 
the city like it was n- like never before. And he was positioned with a heart of worship to God, a lifestyle of worship. He was a shepherd and a king. And what's crazy about Psalms 23 is there are 23 focuses on what Jesus does for us. His sheep. And he does it all the days of our lives. And not just until death, because Jesus is a good shepherd, he does it after our death as well. And David writes the Psalm 23 in these later days, these later years. Actually, it's thought that most of the Psalms were actually written in the tent of the tabernacle in a season of worship where worship existed every day, all day. Can you imagine a place where it's worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week and the tangible presence of God that flowed through the city of David was incredible. But unfortunately, it never continued after David. David never passed on that mantle, that mantle onto Solomon, his son. See, David passed on his inheritance, but not his legacy. He passed on his position, but not his relationship. So this is where I ask you, is God your shepherd? Is Jesus your shepherd? And David asks all the questions that we often ask in this psalm. When God started developing relationship with a group of people, with a tribe, with a people, a Hebrew people, he started with the Ten Commandments. And these commandments were guidelines to build structure for relationship. And he uses this word in the third commandment called the Sabbath. And he said, make sure you remember the Sabbath and you make sure it's holy. And the Jews took this commandment to heart. They literally took it to heart. When God said, make it holy, when God says, do not do any work, they literally do not do any work. You can go to Jerusalem today and they have special elevators that stop on every floor because the Jews don't think they're pushing, they think pushing the button is doing work. So on the Sabbath, they're not allowed to push a button. They're not allowed to open a door. And they took it way, way, way too far. They lost the purpose of it. They lost the feeling of it. They lost the heart of what God was trying to relay to his people. Because it wasn't about literally, I shall do nothing. But the church today has actually swung the pendulum the other way, where we are way, 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 way too relaxed. Now we don't even value our Sabbath. I mean, the principle of the day that God gave was the time of rest in Him. When God created the earth, after every day, sorry, after this, on the seventh day, on this, He rested. And it's that word that we actually get Shabbat from, which literally means, literally, to stop. So when God was actually establishing the Sabbath, when he was establishing this time to be with him, when he was establishing this time of resting, it was to stop. To stop what you're doing. It's when we get the concept of Psalms 
in that word salah, which actually means to stop, to pause, to contemplate. And what God's saying is there are times when we need to stop and rest. But he's not talking about stop, have a sleep. The principle was to give God a day. Give him time with him. And then Jesus comes along. Because what's happened is over the years, the Jews, the Hebrews, have lost the consciousness of what God was saying. They've taken this, this, this commandment, this word, Sabbath, and have taken it to the ninth degree and gone extreme on it. So Jesus turns up and he has to reclassify the consciousness of what it was. It was never about legalism. It was never about you must do this. It was all about relationship. And what Jesus was doing was he was beating up on a legalistic, multi-heavy, religious culture that totally missed the Father's heart. God wanted his people to slow down one day a week, and the Jews had it backwards. David, God, David gave God position in his life every single day. And God only asked for one. And God gave David victory all the days of his life. Now, David wasn't perfect. And we can go into all the mishaps of David. We don't actually need to. God had position in David's heart. See, David had a lifestyle of worship. He had a lifestyle of thanksgiving, a lifestyle of praise. And what that actually does is that positions David in the heart of the Father. Even before David was king, when he was with the sheep, playing his little harp, he had a heart of worship. Because it's more than just a day, it's actually a way of life. It's a way of being in the world. And the Sabbath, in the spirit of restfulness, that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's presence all week long. Because it's not about a day, it's about a presence. It's about a place. Living in a lifestyle of worship. And worship is more than just a song. Now we have a credible music team. And it's more than just a song. Because when Jesus turned up, he, he turned the Ten Commandments on their head. He grabbed the Ten Commandments and goes, boom. Because what he was trying to change the Jews to get was he was trying to move them away from a legalistic mindset and move them into a place of relationship. And when the Jews couldn't get it, he goes, okay, I'll go to the Gentiles. See, Jesus transformed their consciousness. Or he was trying to anyway. And what he said was he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I mean, God didn't set forth the third commandment so you would keep the Sabbath and do nothing on that day. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about the legalistic perspective that was taken from it. It was about relationship. See, we need to hear that first command again when it says, the Sabbath was made for man, 
rest was made for man. It's for us. It's a gift from our Creator. It's a gift that we're supposed to gratefully receive with thanksgiving in our heart. See, we praise God for what He's done. We worship Him for who He is. And it's our relationship with Him that determines our level of worship. Because you can't know Brad if you never meet Brad. You can't know the depth of Brad or how Brad thinks or what Brad likes to do unless you go and have conversations with Brad and sit down with Brad and live life with Brad and walk through things with Brad, right? And know what he likes and what he doesn't like. To see him fall, to see him get back up, to see him walk. So why is it any different with God? Unless you learn to walk with God over a lifetime and establish a lifestyle of worship, you'll miss who God actually is. Because it's not about religion. It's not about rules and regulations. I do this, it makes me a Christian. No. I spend time with him. It makes him my father. When God created the world after the Sabbath, what did he do? He rested. What's funny is that Hebrew word to stop, that word Sabbath, the word Sabbat, also means to delight. To delight in the world. So when God created everything, what did he do? He stopped, he rested, and he delighted in it all. To delight in the world is what we're supposed to do. To delight in God himself. To delight in the things that he's given us and the the opportunities he presents to us. To be thankful for everything that we have. God rested. He stopped. And he set a whole day aside to delight in his creation. And then he set the principle in motion for us to model it as well. And then Jesus comes along and he changes it all and says, Hey, hey, you don't understand what I'm trying to get to you. Understand this. And in Matthew 11, 28, 30, it says, Come to me. And if you stop right there, that's enough. All who are weary, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said to him, Jesus said to all those who are listening, He says, Come to me, come, and I will give you rest. When was the last time we went to Jesus when we were tired? When was the last time we went to Jesus when we didn't have the answer? Psalms 23 is this phenomenal picture that David writes. We don't actually know when he wrote it. We just know that it would have been in his later years. Perhaps when he's going through things and he's reflecting back on those simple days of being a shepherd. And he was remembering those days. Maybe he was sitting on the grass, you know, lying down on the grass, looking up at the sky and the clouds going by. And they all look the same. That looks like a sheep. That looks like a sheep. And he's reflecting on this and he is writing this passage of scripture from Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me 
in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows and surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But it's that interesting word that says restores. He restores my soul that I want you to focus on. I mean the word in its symbols means to press to tent. A place of dwelling. Now we have means as a lifestyle to actually dwell with Jesus. Dwell with the Father. Dwell in his presence. We have the luxury that we don't actually need a piece of furniture to represent his presence. Because now we have the ability to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. To have or to house his presence within us. A place of his presence. I mean that word Lord, capital L, or lowercase l-o-r-d, means Jesus. And when Jesus is our shepherd, he guides and directs us in all the things that we need. He looks and cares for us. He becomes our shepherd. And if you know anything about sheep, they're they're funny creatures. When sheep wander from the herd, the shepherd always goes and looks for it. But wandering isn't just sinning can also be when they don't trust the shepherd or where they want to look for something else. And Jesus gives a description then, when one wanders off, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That Jesus pursues the one who is moving away from him and encourages it to come back. When we choose not to follow his principles, there can be seasons of corrections, just like a shepherd needs to correct a sheep. Slowly and gently guiding it back onto the path, into the greenness of the grass. And of course, there are those stubborn sheep, and we all know who they are. And they have the potential to not only wander, but also to lead others astray. And then they have the potential to endanger themselves and others. And what the Father wants from us in this picture of Psalms 23, is for you to dwell in the green pastures, to drink from still waters, because sheep don't actually like running water. They like the stillness of the water. And there was times when shepherds would build little dams in creeks so the water was still. Because the still water is calming. It reveals the need to spend time in quiet with Jesus. Just sitting back on the grass, looking at the clouds. And when the Father wants in this picture of Psalms 23 is for you to dwell in this place, to dwell in this consciousness of this place with Him. Because He restores us when we are in need. But it requires me to be in that place for Him to restore me. If we follow the Lord and trust Him, He will meet our every need no matter what the circumstances are. They may not necessarily be in your timing, 
but he will meet every single one of your need. And throughout the psalm, you can actually see God's finger all over it. When it says, I shall not want, that's Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. When it says, the still waters, that's Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. When it says, restores my soul, that's Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. When it's the path of righteousness, it's Yahweh Tzikhanu, the Lord our righteousness. When it says, you are with me, it's Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. When it says, the presence of my enemy, it's Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. When it says, anoint my head with oil, it's Yahweh Masikanu, the Lord who sanctifies. See, when we make Jesus our Lord, we make him our shepherd. And when we follow him, he leads us in this place where we are constantly guided. And he knows, he gives us time of rest and he goes, hey, just stand out, just chill out here for a while. It's green grass, there's calm waters, there's everything you need, just chill. And sometimes what we actually need is go, you know what, I, I'm, I'm absolutely gone. I need to rest in you. John gives this picture at the Last Supper where he rests in the bosom or in the chest of Jesus. And I'm not too sure exactly what it is, but I guarantee you, if you learn to rest in God, you go to God, you stop, listen, pray, seek, give thanksgiving, give praise, I'll guarantee you, you'll come out of that place fully, fully refreshed. Fully, fully refreshed. You won't need anything else because he's everything you need. Now, it's always nice to take a holiday. It's always nice to take a break, but I'm telling you, that's a place of rest. And this is what God actually set up from the beginning. He goes, I want to be your place of rest. I want to be your place of Sabbath, your Shabbat. Your place to stop and your place to delight. Come to me who are weary and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Let me carry your burdens. Because we're not designed to be anxious. We're not designed to be worried. We're not designed to do any of that. And if you look out in the world who do not have God, who are living in this place of anxiousness, completely in this place of worry and stress, it's not doing them any good. It's not. It's paramount to your health to learn how to rest in God. Paramount. You want to know, here's a really crazy testimony, right? I have slightly elevated blood pressure. Not where they're going to give me medication, but there's a few things that stress me out. And just this week, I've been just going in this time of just thanksgiving, overboard. Just thanking God for everything. Thanking God for my situation, thanking God for where I am, thanking God for my salvation. And you know, my actual heart rate has actually dropped. That's a good thing, by the way. My resting heart rate has actually dropped. Just because simply learning, resting in God. Life is stressful. And this world, it's stressful. There's so many things going around. But I'm telling you, if you learn to rest in Him, learn to give Him thanks, learn to give Him praise, learn to worship Him, learn to do what David did, live a lifestyle of worship, all your enemies, not that you have too many, will be defeated. All of them. It may not happen in a moment. 
could take a lifetime. But you won't have to worry. And the first step to all of this is obviously making Jesus your Lord and Savior, making him your good shepherd. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you're far from him, perhaps this is a current foreign concept, perhaps you've walked away, you know you're not in the right place. And what I do is I invite you to come and meet with me and I want to take you through a short little prayer and walk along this path with you. But we're going to uh, close in a word of prayer. Um, we have morning tea, or not morning tea, light lunch. There's tea and coffee. You can go out there, you can snack. I encourage you to get to know each other, talk with each other, pray with each other, do whatever it takes, meet after church, have meals together. Because this is a support network. This is what church is. It's a support network. But we come together and we fellowship and we worship God for all the goodness that He's done, for everything that He's done in our lives. And we're going to pray and we're just going to close the meeting. If you want prayer, I'll be down the front. You can come to me. I'll pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that when you created us, you knew everything about us. You know what we need and what we don't. But more than anything, you want relationship. You yearn for relationship with your people. Father, I pray that we would learn, that we would learn to understand, that we would desire to rest in you, that we would learn to stop, to pause, to contemplate, to delight in you. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in your people. I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your spirit that's moving. I thank you for the trickling. I thank you for the light crash. I thank you for everything that's taking place and I thank you for this week that will come about. I speak health and life upon your people, blessings and favour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.